And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. The Athletic. Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of Athletic subscribers? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Our lot are great. They're intelligent. They have demonstrably long attention spans for all of those long reads. And that means they're almost certainly the ABC ones you're looking for. Imagine your brand front and centre on the Totally Football Show, or Talk of the Devils, or Football Clichés. You can advertise with us now. Our highly skilled and effortlessly charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you, whether you want a single ad on View From The Lane or full title sponsorship on our Women's World Cup show. We've got something for everyone. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and we are here to react to Reading, to focus on Forest, and to get a tiny bit titillated by transfers. Only a tiny bit, a really, really small bit. In fact, not really at all, but there is a transfer section on the podcast to look forward to in a little while. Let's introduce you then to our crew today. Andy Mitten is with us. Hello, Andy. Hello, Ian. Looking forward to this. Excellent. Carl Anker is here too. Hello, Carl. Hello, Ian. I'm looking forward to this as well. Absolutely. Standard home win against Reading. We had to be a little bit patient, perhaps, in that first half. But box ticked, move on to the next one, Andy. Yeah, I think quite a few people were quite accurate with the predictions before the game. It would have been a major surprise if Manchester United hadn't won. A couple of nerves at half-time, people starting to mention the prospect of a replay, which would have been awful for Manchester United. Uh, move through the gears in the second half, three goals. The Brazilians got them all. Casemiro scored twice. I've never seen him so happy playing football. And I've been covering him, interviewing him, watching him since 2013. And he was never known as an attacking player either. So for him to score two and his reaction was great. Fred as well. Uh, I thought Reading were pretty tough to play against in the first half. Uh, Paul Ince was a fantastic Manchester United player. History is divided on him among a lot of Manchester United fans. What I will say, having spoke to him for three hours about the subject a couple of years ago, he has his own version of what went on with regards to him leaving Manchester United and it's very different to Sir Alex Ferguson's version. History is written by the victor. Everyone believes Ferguson's version, but I believe there's another version as well. Yeah, it was interesting to hear Ian Wright actually clarify the governor nickname um, in the ITV coverage of the game as well, uh, describing why he was called the governor, which was about being the best at snooker in a club years ago. But anyway, there's only one midfielder to talk about, really. Andy's mentioned him already. And it's not just people living in a Premier League bubble like Andy Mitten, who <laughs> are praising Casimiro and commenting on how how happy he is, because he just... His, his influence is only growing, Carl. And I didn't think that was possible because only a few weeks ago, 
all the United fans were being accused of sort of blowing up Casemiro far too much, uh, and yet it continues to grow the warmth from the fans towards him, and his influence, like I say, just gets bigger and bigger. Absolutely. Uh, I had a call with my editor, Sam Brown, this morning, and he described Casemiro as the rising tide of Manchester United, so everyone around him was getting better and better. I was like, oh, I can tell you write headlines. That's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, also had a conversation. Let me ask that question again. Casemiro, Carl, I mean, he's just like the rising tide, isn't he, <laughs> of this Manchester United team, do you not think? I absolutely agree. I think he's he's remarkable. Uh, it's not just what he does for the midfield, solidify and secure that back four, but also it's the tiny thing. So how he constantly shows for the ball when Aaron Wan-Bissaka is advancing down the right-hand side. So now Wan-Bissaka has an easy pass. It's the fact that he can get those passes first time into the final third when he does win the ball. So it means the likes of Rashford and Veghorst and Bruno Fernandes can play closer to goal. Um, it's the way he works on the defensive transition, which is one thing Ten Hag pointed out. After the game, just said, yeah, we were really good. Whenever we lost the ball, we got back really quickly. And I'm going, hmm, did we do it? Or was it Casemiro standing in the right position, delaying everything until everyone else got back in place as well? He's remarkable. I mean, I think it's between him and Rashford now for player of the season at the end of the year, don't you think? It's going to be quite a fight, isn't it, between those two? And you never know, someone else might emerge in the second half of this campaign as well. They're going to have to go some great guns to challenge them two, though. Uh, Andy, I poked a little bit of fun at you because you already described the fact that you'd been watching Casemiro for a long time. But that is quite a it's quite a big statement to say that he he's at his happiest now, and that's what you that's what you read into it, considering how much you've seen him play down the years and how much you've seen him win, more to the point, at Real Madrid. Why do you say that? Why do you think he's at his happiest? He was never the main man at Real Madrid and he wasn't always appreciated at Real Madrid. His fans are extremely quick to judge, as a lot of Manchester United fans are. I think history will remember him as a great Real Madrid player. He won all those Champions Leagues and a very important part of the team. And I wrote a piece for The Athletic last month where... I did a bit of digging around and found out that Real Madrid's players actually went to the club president and to the manager and say, don't let him go. And it was like, really? And it was too late because he wanted to play in England and he wanted to play for Manchester United. I was having a bit of fun with um, that tweet on Saturday and got loads of abuse from people with pictures of footballers <laughs> instead of their own face in the bio. But he was... Um, top player for top top team the current european champions and I, I people were saying to me have you ever seen him play and I'm like, i've seen him play numerous times spoke to him watched him live since he arrived in spain i might have even watched him play in brazil because i've watched games in brazil and not known who was who because i just turned up at the stadium and like two years later i think i'm sure i've seen him before and it was gabriel jesus so maybe <laughs> if i was smarter at my job I'd um, be on commission for scouting. Yeah, I'd be making proper notes. I think it's great with Casemiro. Uh, he's, it, the, the players are improving around him. The defenders are better because he is better than the midfielders who were there before. There's a couple of parts to his game which I don't think people fully appreciated. He's excellent in the air. Mm. And then in attack, the run before the goal, nobody saw that on the pitch. The first goal. Yeah, And he trains fantastically well, almost apologetic that he can't fully speak English yet. I think his English adventure is as good as or even better than his expectations, which were, which were high. And there were quite a few sniffy Manchester United fans when he came. They said things like, 
He'll never come. Real Madrid don't sell their best players. We won't sign somebody like him. And I saw people completely change their tune. Even after two weeks, people were going, he looks off it. And they have completely changed their tune since because he's the best player for Manchester United. And that's a big statement, but he is. I remember having my mind blown at Leicester. Do you remember being in the car park with Laurie, Andy, after that game? And I think Casemiro, he'd come on with maybe about half an hour to go. It was almost like no one else could have the ball. It was just his ball for like the rest of the game. And he was completely controlling proceedings and what was going on. And I just remember then thinking like, blimey, you know, his influence on this team. You can see already how much his teammates are trusting him with the ball, how much they want him to be the one who's controlling it all. I mean, it it wasn't a straight road at the start, was it? I mean, the Real Sociedad game wasn't fantastic for him and obviously there is going to be an adaptation, but he's just grown and grown and grown. Carl, there's a huge piece that you've written on The Athletic. Calling it a deep dive is not doing it justice at all because <laughs> the analysis and the numbers and the data in there is, is fascinating for Manchester United fans and it takes a while. Pour yourself a cup of tea get a pack of biscuits maybe just to go through this thing because there's lots and lots of really revealing information in there. Casemiro is a, a big part of the changes that Eric Ten Hag has made though and you detail that in the piece. Yeah, so you know, this time last week got the call from the athletic mothership going, it's been six months on the Ten Hag, could you go write a piece on how, you know, what, what is this process that Ten Hag wants to do and how far along is everything going? I'm like, yeah, sure, no worries. Uh, felt a bit like a start of a James Bond film where you go off to queue, get all your weaponry, figure out all you need to do, <laughs> all your little gadgets. So yes, well yeah. to write it in a week. To be fair, <laughs> got a lot of got a lot of tables, got a couple of screenshots, uh, a little bit of an explainer of the IX team of eighteen nineteen, which I still think Ten Hag ultimately wants Manchester United to play like. Uh, hence the the interest in the summer of Frankie De Jong, and yeah, one of the big reasons why Manchester United are so much better or perhaps you know, borderline ahead of schedule now, is because of Casemiro. He's, you know, he's top three in the Premier League for all of the important things you want from a central mid- midfielder. And, and I say central midfielder rather than holding midfielder because his passing is, is well up there. I think that was one thing that surprised quite a few Man United fans. The, the, the understanding was, yeah, Casemiro is a very good defensive midfielder, but he, well, I think more than one person said all he does is do five-yard passes to Tony Cruz and Luka Modric. Well, actually, it turns out he, he can ping it really well. Uh, and I think that's been the really good thing for Manchester United. Um, and yeah, the second goal took a deflection, but I don't think many United fans expected him to have a go from that sort of distance either. No, and he didn't hit it particularly hard either, did it? No. He just sort of like, it found a route through almost rather than being sort of powered in or anything like that. In the piece as well, Carl, it's not just about praising United, it's also about picking apart some of the issues that, that Ten Hag is still battling with and still trying to improve. And an element I found really interesting was was about United without the ball and how they may have changed or, or not changed during Ten Hag's time. Um, particularly, there's a, a, a data table in there about the, the number of high turnovers that United have had and they're way down the list, aren't they? I mean, that that is an element that I did think would have improved by this point. The pressing, yeah, it's a, it's one of those things that looks disappointing in the spreadsheets, and then you know the, this is why the eye test is always important, and why you should never just whack in a bunch of numbers and say it's done. Um, because if you, if you look at the spreadsheets this time last year, Manchester United's pressing numbers are pretty much the same, right? They they 
the back four kind of steps stands halfway between their own penalty area and the halfway line and they push up sometimes and they win the ball sometimes but they're not a high pressing team in the same way Arsenal, Liverpool, um, Manchester City and even a team like Southampton do. I think the interesting thing is how Ten Hag is finding the balance as they slowly get up to speed. So Falk Vekos has come in, he's better at pressing than say Anthony Martial but in the meantime, while he reworks that spine and gets out all the, you know, all the really important presses in all the important places, he's worked on the counter press. So United don't press all the time, but if they see a loose ball or if they lose the ball and they think, oh, we can win this back quickly, they pounce very, very quickly. And that's been the big difference between this season and last season. Whereas before last season, I mean, I don't like bringing up that game, but you, you, there was a certain game against a certain team that played... Uh, in red that are rivals to Man United and Man United tried pressing them and it was awful and they just sort of ruined them whereas that doesn't happen anymore uh, United are a lot better going oh no loose ball grab it now or oh they're, they're getting having too much fun stick a boot in and I think that's that's a big improvement from Ten Hag yeah it is and actually it's brought a lot of reward as well hasn't it for United I, I think I think it was a Crystal Palace game. I know it ended in a draw, but I remember watching that game in the first half and watching Andy just how much United were winning the ball back quickly in high, high, high up the pitch in areas where you you, know, you turn the ball over and you're creating a chance within a pass. I mean that that is a sign that Ten Hag's methods are definitely having an impact on this team without the ball, undoubtedly. They are, and as Carl's P says, there's still some way to go. United played very well in that first half at Sellers Park. The difference between that game and the final game of last season at Sellers Park was stark. I get it that it was seen as a dead rubber at the end of last season, but there were big changes in the personnel too. Ten Hag used one word at the weekend. It was in relation to Marcus Rashford, confidence. And he's benefiting from that, but so are all of those other players and if you are a central defender and you see Casemiro coming up in front of you, that is a positive and not a negative. So by bringing in top players, Manchester United are improving. New players still need to come in. I think the priority, and I know the priority, would be a number nine for the summer. Uh, we'll probably see lots of speculation about that. But it's just another way in which Ten Hag has got control of what he wants, working closely with his coaches, a nice spread of coaches, different ages, different backgrounds, different experiences, uh, they're from different countries. So the club are in a very good place from a football perspective at the moment. And yes, it helps that rivals are faltering like Liverpool and Chelsea or Tottenham a little bit. But with John Murta and Eric Ten Hag, they've got decisions right, you know. 11 straight wins at Old Trafford. Mm. Old Trafford has become a fortress and Reading are not Real Madrid. But United have beaten City at home this season, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham. We've got Barcelona this month, a very good team who are playing well, don't concede a lot of goals. George Graham's Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're top of the league. They've surprised a lot of people, Barcelona. They've got cracking young midfielders. There's a guy called Frankie de Jong plays for him. He's from Holland. Google him because he's pretty decent. And he combines with these lads called Gavi, who's seven years old, and Pedri, who's from the Canary Islands, not from Tenerife. And uh, with Bush gets behind them, they're a good team. I know we're going to talk more about Barca in uh, the, the weeks coming up, but I sense that Ten Hag has got control with the media, with his messaging, with his players. 
and it's fantastic to see. If you want to know more about Manchester United's transformation under Ten Hag, how United have changed under the manager and what's left to do. Carl's piece is up on The Athletic at the moment. Remember, if you're not a subscriber, the offer is still there. £1.99 a month for a year when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. I'm Mark Chapman, host of the Athletic Football Podcast. It's the final week of January and uh, that sound you can hear is clubs frantically trying to get deals over the line before the deadline closes on Tuesday night. Uh, Myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and our raft of club experts will be all across the biggest moves this week and we'll discuss the fallout when the window shuts. So just search for the Athletic Football Podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your pods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, right, a few more bits to wrap up from Reading. Carl, it was a really strong Manchester United lineup, much stronger than you and I were sort of speculating about towards the end of the last pod. Is the price losing Christian Eriksen, or am I just sort of trying to say that we were right and Ten Hag was wrong in, in saying that? Maybe. Uh, so we don't know the extent of Christian Eriksen's injury. Uh, there's been uh, images floating around of him leaving Old Trafford on crutches after a pretty hefty challenge from Awful Andy Carroll on it not yeah. the only one by the way Blimey. no 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 Andy Carroll was eventually sent off in that game well, you get sent off and actually the the worst challenge is the one that you're not yeah. booked or sent yeah. off for truly it's crazy uh Ericsson's injury is on to be confirmed so if, he, if he's out for a week you, you put Fred in and you have a very combative midfield that loses a little bit of passing quality but definitely can just stronger on defensive transition Casimir and Fred have played multiple games for Brazil, you know, ahead of Fabinho and other central midfielders you'd expect are quote-unquote better than Fred. So that's a partnership that works and we know it works. If we're talking months rather than weeks with Christian Eriksen, then everything changes. Because while I would like a little bit more Fred minutes in 2023, I don't want too much Fred minutes in 2023. At a certain point, it becomes empty calories. <laughs> you made Sorry. yourself laugh with that one, didn't you? A little bit. <clears throat> Um, uh, so yeah, I think that that is now the, the next biggest challenge for, for Ten Hag because I mean they showed the fixture list 
up on ITV about all the all the remaining fixtures between now and the yeah. end of February, and that's yeah. We were saying that on the last pod, weren't we? That there is not much room there. You don't want to be missing this month. No, absolutely not. So uh, uh, very tricky, uh, and this is why I can see more than one Manchester United fan woke up this morning going, "Carl, Carl, Carl, do you think Manchester United will spend the next twenty four hours trying to bring in Sergio Briskets' his twin brother?" I don't know. You, you know how it is. <laughs> Yeah, we are deadline day minus one, as it's been described as we record this podcast, Andy. Do you think there's any chance that United delve into the market to to solve their headache with Ericsson, potentially? I think there's a very slim chance, and I spoke to people... So you're saying there's a chance? Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a very very slim chance, but you never say So you're saying there's a chance? I'm saying that I spoke to people before Christian Eriksen became injured and was told that, no, that, that, that's basically it. Um, I've, I've not been told that United are, are going to be in for everyone. Uh, we don't know what the extent of Christian Eriksen's injury is. He's been an important player for Manchester United. He started the vast majority of the games. He plays the majority of minutes. He often comes off. I'm just looking back at... Uh, his performances so he played the full game against Arsenal but that probably was because Casemiro wasn't there 83 against Palace 72 against City 68 against Bournemouth 61 against Wolves 77 against Forest so there's a trend there I think if you would say of any players tired a little bit and you made that point in your question I think Christian Eriksen in the second half has shown evidence of that Uh, Fred brings energy when he comes on, Kobe Mainu's getting minutes, which is good, but cut that lad so much like he's 17 years old. You can't be playing Kobe Mainu against Barcelona. And as I say that, Gavi, who's just turned 18, I think, will be playing for Barcelona <laughs> against Manchester United. So there's always an exception. There's, al- th- th- there's always um, an exception. I think Manchester United have been all right with injuries so far this season. It's not been a really bad year um, for, for injuries, but... He does go strong. I was on the pitch last week before the game when the team came round. So I was looking at people like Gary Neville and Roy Keane and the team come and the feeling straight away was gone really strong here. You're talking about for the Forest game, that was. Yeah, that was that was for Forest, but for Reading as well, that was a really strong team. Mm. Much stronger than I expected. Much I'll be stronger. Honest. Because yeah. if Manchester United were to win the League Cup this year or to win the FA Cup and finish in the top four, I think that is acceptable. And Carl's putting his, his football standard back of quality. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's way beyond what we were sort of ready to accept at the start of this season, weren't we? I think we were talking about just, you know, seeing sort of signs of development. Carl was, was enough for us this campaign. He's already sort of punching way above the mark that we thought was acceptable, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be. I'll go behind the magician's curtain here. I had Manchester United down to finish sixth in the league before a ball was kicked. I don't think you're alone, mate, by the yeah, way. I, I think I most said, people did, Carl. Most said, people were saying said, fifth and sixth. I said sixth in the league, decent Europa League Cup run, and that was that. You know, I did also think Thomas Tuchel would still be Chelsea manager and, and Spurs would be Spurs and Liverpool would be better than what they currently are. So there's that. I mean, no one really predicted Newcastle being this good as well. I definitely knew Ten Hag would improve the style of play. I also thought there would be a point through in the season where you'd go ah, United can't quite play the football Ten Hag wants because player X is just not a Ten Hag style player and we need to wait another transfer window or another thing until we can get the person that he wants. 
and this Ericsson situation is how Ten Hag has got round problems in that when Ericsson signed, I went, oh, that's that's Bruno Fernandes' backup at number 10. I didn't think he'd play in the pivot. And, and Ten Hag has been quite clever this season at using workarounds, short-term fixes in terms of long-term things. Valt Vekos, no, no one thought Valt Vekos would be playing for Manchester United. But his header for Marcus Rashford's offside goal is the sort of thing that United couldn't have done last season, but is actually a very clever way of creating chances. And Ten Hag keeps really annoying those that was gaps. offside as well, wasn't it? Sorry really was. To yeah. Interrupting <laughs> in your flow there, Carl. But it was really annoying, wasn't it? It'd have been amazing for Rashford to set that record because it, it. I know he's equaled Dennis Violet's record, which is still absolutely brilliant. You know, he's only the second man ever to score in nine consecutive home games. But ten would have just been. <laughs> it just underlined how great he's been lately. It would have been great, ten and ten, and all that. Um, but also that thing of as a Manchester United fan, I probably shouldn't be yelling about offside calls in January. Involving Marcus Rashford, maybe. Yeah, I'm just going to hold my colour there a little bit. Uh, The Ericsson situation is interesting in that I think Ericsson, you're already seeing some problems in Ericsson and Andy's already said, you know, 60th minute substitutions, 77th minute substitutions. Past the hour mark, Christian Ericsson can't really run that well. Um, And also, he's not a defensively minded defensive midfielder, right? Why did he play then? Why did he play against Reading? Because surely United can beat Reading with Fred or McTominay in that position, can't they? Why do you think he did play Christian Eriksen in that game, Carl? Uh, if you looked at the statistics at half time when United had 80% possession and, you know, three or four shots in goal, it, I got the sense that Ten Hag thought he could wrap up that game in 45 minutes. So you think Eriksen's a half time sub in his pre planned mind? Yeah, yeah. And Ten Hag is. You know, when the plan works, Ten Hag does tell you which ones were were on a set timer. So we know Marcus Rashford was meant to come off after an hour against Nottingham Forest, and I think we're seeing more about this. He, he also talked about Marcus Rashford's disappointment at being substituted early against Reading, and Ten Hag went, "Yeah, you know, it would have been great for, to break the record, but I've got to protect these players for the games in in in, in the future." And knowing what Ten Hag says about automatisms and how he really wants players to stay in the team for longer. He strikes me as someone who doesn't want to rest players wholesale, but at least give them 45 minutes extra. And then you can go, right, okay, now you've figured out what you need to do in these areas of the field with this first team, reach 45 minutes and goal up, then you can come off. It's risky, yeah, in the same way that Andy's also said, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer playing all the players and then getting to three semifinals in one go was risky, but... This is what it's like being a Manchester United manager. Every single yeah. decision you make is going to be heavily scrutinised by people with podcasts. Who, who, who think they could have predicted Andy Carroll doing a dodgy slide tackle on Christian Eriksen? Um, Indeed. Yeah. I remember Pep Guardiola speaking quite a bit about this, though, over time, Andy, about keeping players in their rhythm as well. He he had a theory that he kind of explained it was quite difficult to follow, but in terms of if a layman looks at this week for United, you think, well, Christian Eriksen could get like two games off here. He could have Reading off and he can have the second leg of Nottingham Forest off and then come back fresh. It's something that Ferguson had done in the past. So it sort of rings a bell with Manchester United fans that having a break mid-season is good. But Guardiola's almost the opposite of that. He wanted players to keep playing minutes. Even if they'd been playing a lot of minutes, he didn't feel that missing two games was actually necessarily a good thing. So I wonder with Ten Hag having worked with Guardiola in the past, whether that's that's in his mind. I think Guardiola's right. Look at his teams in 2009, 10, 11. Mm. So many of those players played so many of the matches and certain players need to be playing every week. If you ask Luke Shaw or Wayne Rooney, do you want to be rested? No, they need to be playing. I can see it both ways because 
if you do blow up after reaching three semi-finals, straight away people are jumping on you saying you've burned the players out. But then it can create a momentum when players are playing all the time. And 1991, Cup Winners' Cup final, Manchester United in Rotterdam. I think nine of those players had played around 50 games that season. And sports, science and technology has advanced since 1991. And it's all right us saying uh, there's too many matches and there are a lot of games and it's not just the game itself. But Guardiola is arguably the greatest manager of the last decade. And he knows his stuff and has got the trophies to back it up. Who are we to question that? Yeah, there is that. Uh, one thing it does do, actually, Carl, while we're on transfers or the, the sort of vague topic of transfers, it can create some frustration around the fringe players who aren't getting even that many minutes in, in matches that you'd expect them to. There's been a lot of links and rumours about some of those fringe players at Manchester United maybe leaving before the end of this transfer window. David Ornstein has written about it in his Monday column. The name that keeps coming up, of course, is Anthony Alanga. Mm-hmm. There's others, but how likely do you think it is that, that someone could be departing on loan, maybe Alanga, before that deadline comes tomorrow? Uh, I'm not wholly convinced. I mean, if Ornstein says it, I'm always going to take it more seriously than when a lot of people say stuff. In fairness, he's talking more about the opposite side, though, isn't he? He's talking about clubs being interested in Anthony Langer as opposed to Anthony Langer being interested in those clubs, potentially. Which I think should be taken as a compliment to Manchester United fans. Langer's had his fair few critics this season, especially after the pre-season game where, where Jadon Sancho wasn't around and everyone went, oh God, Langer can't play right wing. He's undergone a bit of a change this season, or at least the post-World Cup section, where when he does come on, he doesn't really play on the right-hand side anymore. He tends to play as a sort of false nine passing false nine who, who runs in behind which I find quite interesting of the names that have been linked to Alanga some of them make me go ooh interesting I would enjoy seeing him play there for six months uh, and some of them make me go oh god no don't don't you dare touch that football club I think he needs to be playing more football his stock as a United player uh, so far probably peaked in Madrid last February we're 11 months on from that now we're nearly a year on from when we started singing a song about Anthony Alanga a year ago Oh, wow. Mm. Almost, yeah. Pretty much a year ago, Manchester United were getting knocked out of the FA Cup against Middlesbrough and Anthony Langer missed the penalty. And now, you know, United are beating championship opposition fairly comfortably and now Langer can come on and he's not being asked to, to be the to be the do-all and everything of the attack, which shows, again, the development that's come on. If you'd say Anthony's going to play 15 games and be a starter and be playing in the Premier League, I think I could absolutely see merit in that. I'm also seeing Palestri getting more minutes. I like him when I when I see him. He can play both sides if he needs to. Uh, so Eric Tanark will be working through all of these. And of course, there is a chance that Chelsea would have this fear of missing <laughs> out and, and coming in and trying by Alanga because you know it's it's nearly like as we speak, nine minutes since they've signed a player, and I think that's a major issue for Chelsea. Quietly seething they've bought Malagusto. He is going to be a very good Premier League football player. We're, we're, we're laughing at it. He, he might end up having the last laugh as Chelsea start winning everything in five or six years, but I'm sorry it looks like an absolute farce so far this season. It does. Um, let's bring it back to Manchester United. Uh, Ahmad Diallo, we've, we've sort of talked about talking about on the podcast in recent weeks, and he's never quite made the cut, Carl, but he's been 
very, very impressive at Sunderland. And I guess that is a really positive example for someone like Langer or Palestri looking at their options, maybe assessing uh, a move if there is one on the cards for them of, of what you can achieve if you can go and play football somewhere. Yep, you got you know FA Cup tie against Premier League opposition and looked very, very good. Uh, really nice dribbles, good passes. Decision-making the final third, perhaps a little bit suboptimal. You know, again, something that you can iron out after a bit more consistency and, and Ten Hag, you know, talking to you about which zones and areas of the field you want to talk about. But I am becoming quite excited about the prospect of a mad coming back to Manchester United next season. I am also now beginning to think whether or not he could also work as a number 10 as well as someone on the right-hand side because he's definitely got the ability to receive the ball between the lines and make passes happen, which I think Ten Hag might go, ooh, 20 minutes, take Bruno off. That might work. It's, it's the same age as Anthony Alanga, and he had a pretty rough start where people were saying, how much did he cost? So it's great that he's doing well at Sunderland. I heard his manager, Tony Mowbray, speaking about him after the game on Saturday, and he just said that, He's a class above any of the players we've got. We're lucky to have him here. I heard Don Hutchinson infusing about him as well. I think it's a really good move for him because Sunderland are a huge club. He played against Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough last week. I think the crowd was 42,000 and he scored. And he is playing on the right, but he has played as a second striker. He's played as a centre forward. So he's playing in different positions for Sunderland. And he's going to come back in a much better place than when he went up to Wearside. So that is an example, a clear example of a successful uh, loan move because, as Carl said, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. He's an exciting player and he can play right, left, centre. And he's still really young. Yeah. Just to finish off this section then, uh, another story from David Ornstein that we need to touch on. Uh, I don't know which one of you wants to take this because he's not a player that many people will know a great deal about. 16-year-old Gabriele Bianchieri, signed from Cardiff. Andy or Carl, have you want to take this one? I know he's highly rated and he's a 16-year-old, but I probably now need to go fire up some uh, academy football and have a look at what he's got, how he receives on the half-term and if he's got a rocket of a left foot or something or other. It's good United can make these sorts of moves now and they're being proactive in the transfer market. Okay, maybe they're not going to be able to just drop £100 million on a striker from Serie A that everyone's clamouring for, but they are putting things in place so United are going to be good in 2023, in 2024, in 2025. Yeah, okay, maybe it's just me holding a lot of optimism, but I, I like it when Man United are able to make these sorts of moves. you got to remember, you know, for all the talk about Garnacho coming from the academy, he was a fairly late recruit from Atletico Madrid. Yeah, he's one of the last Brexit buyers, Andy, wasn't he? Yeah, so Cardiff is part of Wales, which is part of the United Kingdom, which didn't... <laughs> oh, no, Bianchieri is okay, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've been very excited about several players since we've done this podcast. We've spoke about players, players like Tahith Chong, Hannibal Medjbury. Sometimes they come good, sometimes they don't. Sometimes you get what's happening with Ahmad, where I think there's a really, really good player there. But he's four years on from a 16-year-old signing from Cardiff. We'll watch him like we do and hopefully it'll be exciting and hopefully the scouts have done their job and Manchester United is very attractive to a young player. Yeah, certainly something to keep an eye on. And another thing, of course, to keep an eye on is the athletic between now and the end of this January transfer window. All the very latest, whether it involves Manchester United or more likely Chelsea or maybe Nottingham Forest, <laughs> um, who also seem to be quite busy at the moment, uh, will be on there. Keep your eyes peeled for that in the next 24 hours or so. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, one last piece of business then to talk about. The small matter of finishing off Forest and getting to Wembley, Andy Mitten. Um, do you just foresee it being a, a straightforward evening for United considering the lead I mean it's a pretty good position to be in isn't it and what would it be for everyone connected with the club to get to Wembley again it's a fantastic position to be in that was a significant result winning 3-0 away at Forest last week you could never say that the team are going to relax because Eric Tenag will be going out to win the game again doesn't want to see Manchester United not winning keep that momentum going but he does have the luxury of being able to not involve a few players. So I would be stunned if Manchester United didn't reach Wembley. It would be one of the biggest shocks in football if Nottingham Forest won 4-0 at Old Trafford. I'm old enough to remember Forest winning at Old Trafford. They spoiled my 21st birthday. I had a nice party sorted for that night. Okay, we're playing Forest at home. Everything's going to be good. Get a decent win. Go out, have a decent time. Stan Collymore scored at Old Trafford. They had a very good team then. They are improved. I think they were a little bit unlucky last week, actually. I don't think that scoreline fully reflects where Forest were in the game, but Manchester United were clinical. I, I thought of it from the perspective of a Forest fan. You're going to go with Old Trafford on Wednesday, but what are you hoping for? <laughs> a miracle? A day out. <laughs> yeah. Brian Clough's not the manager anymore, I'm afraid. <laughs> These things don't happen. Imagine if we, re- we have to... Uh, play this back on Thursday because Forrest have won 5-1. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't be laughing then, would we, to be fair? No. Wembley's brilliant. It, 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 people are talking about it now, as I said in the last podcast. Gets people excited. A chance of a, uh, a cup. Looks like it's going to be Newcastle United. I'm worried about Newcastle because at Old Trafford, they really impressed me. Really difficult team to break down. And I think it will be... The League Cup final, which receives the most attention for years and years and years because people were just getting bored of Manchester City turning up. City was struggling to sell some of the tickets for some of those final matches. I think that some City fans were becoming a bit tired of going to Wembley because they were so successful. You absolutely won't get that with this game. If it is Manchester United and Newcastle, I'm hearing early prices for tickets on the black market and it's off the scale because 
Newcastle United are an absolutely massive club as well. So if it is to be those two, great. Really look forward to, to that final. And it's not even in May, is it? It's the end of February. I've not got that long to look forward to it at all if they finish the job, which they should do this week. Anyone, do you think, that could play that we've not seen lately? I mean, Jaden Sancho is probably the obvious one, Carl. Ten Hag left the door open, didn't he, for him playing against Reading. And obviously we saw how, how that went. Any chance that you can see Jaden Sancho featuring in this one? Uh, TB confirmed. So we know Jaden Sancho trained on the Friday with Manchester United in the first team. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened again. Um, Sancho taking part in the, in the training. And, you know, Andy, please correct me, but when he trains on the Friday, it's part of the larger team drills. So he might not necessarily be in the first team group, but in the sort of other team when they're having their their, 11, their their matchups, that's what I think Sancho is doing in training at the moment. So a, a bit a bit of chronology with this, Sen, um, because th- this led me to write in the story on The Athletic last week that Jaden Sancho is now back, back in training. My initial tip on that was that he's back in and he is in contention for Arsenal away at the weekend. So as a journalist, you try and stand up your, your sources and I spoke to a few people and within a couple of days, it was, uh, yeah, he, he came back today um, but no, he's not going to Arsenal at the weekend, and that's absolutely true. So I, I, I'm with Carl on this. I think it might take a little bit more time, um, but the fact that Eric Tenag has got him training with the first team um, shows that he's in a, a, a good place, and if he can break into the team again and be effective, then everyone will be smiling and everyone's a winner. You think about that potential final, that's three days after the game against Barcelona in the Europa League. That also caused a game against Brentford to be rescheduled as well. There are openings for a Jadon Sancho appearance, be it off the bench for 20 minutes or, or potentially in the start. Um, and I'm sure when he does make an appearance, he's going to be warmly received and he's going to offer something different. I mean, Palestri was hailed as the best thing since sliced bread for going on the outside and right-hand side and swinging across. So I think Jadon Sancho's got two or three tricks that he can remind Manchester United players of. That next Sancho nutmeg is going to be a... Very widely applauded. Yeah, it will. I mean, I remember the the appearance for Phil Jones last season. Was it against Wolves? And, you know, the, the amount of support that he got, um, considering that United fans had, had not seen him play for the club for so long. And I'm sure it'd be a similar thing with, with Jadon Sancho. And hopefully, step by step, he can get back to where, where we all want him to be. Just one last name. Oh, go on, Carl, sorry. Oh, I was going to ask you a question of, uh, you know, 3-0 lead. We've been raving about Casemiro. Would you play Casemiro in the second leg? No. Andy? I think that's a really hard question because I think he's better than sliced bread. <laughs> and I would say, yeah. I wonder, I get told quite a few footballers listen to this podcast. One of them's Billy Garton, right? Billy will be driving along somewhere in California and he played 50-odd times for United. He's a Salford lad in the 80s and all the girls Hello, used Billy. to fancy him. Play this back to you, Mick. Hello, mate. Billy. Hello, Billy. I love it that footballers can listen and pull you up on stuff. You said this, that's not true. No player would ever think like that. Billy's interesting because he's probably the player who grew up closest to Old Trafford. He grew up in Odsall. So all he had to do was cross over the Manchester Ship Canal to play it for the Reds. He actually would get a bus to those early first matches when he broke into the first team. Couldn't quite imagine Casimiro getting a bus to Old Trafford (laughs) these days if he's selected on Wednesday. I don't know. uh, If I was a manager and I'm not, or I've managed at a low level, um, I'd always pick my best team. 
But that's why I've managed at a low level. <laughs> Belting team, but a low level. Yeah. One last name to mention um, before we wrap things up is Harry Maguire. I think he can probably expect to play again, Carl. Don't you? I mean, he's quite open in his comments after the game uh, when he was interviewed, sort of talking about the position that he's in at the moment. I'm sure it's not a situation that he wants to be in, that he foresaw himself being in, but it's a position that he is in. How does he find his way back as a first-choice player for Manchester United? It can change quickly, as we've seen in the past, but he just doesn't seem to get the breaks, Maguire, for some reason. Does he even in that, you know, the, the first leg, having those bookings and being banned, it just doesn't seem to fall his way, does it? No, no, it does not. He's, he's in that sort of Dean Henderson vortex where he's getting injured and he's getting illness just at the opportune moment. The worst possible time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would like a, a, a sort of... Harry Maguire, Victor Lindelof, century midfield pairing, give Casemiro and, and Asanjo Martin as a rest. <laughs> I'd also be quite happy to see, you know, Malassia play at left back and, and Wan-Bissaka continue at right back. We still don't know about Diogo Dallo's injury status. I am very eager to find out more things there. So, uh, yeah, a, a, a United first team against Longton Forest that feels a bit more like the ones from from two seasons ago, you know, McFred coming in as well. Uh, I wouldn't hate it. I put my hands up here. I wouldn't hate it. You can all yell at me when Forrest score five minutes in and it'll build to momentum after the penalties. Casemiro <laughs> comes on after half an hour to steady the ship. Riding, <laughs> riding on his white horse to rescue everyone. Yep. Um, I can see that, actually, to be fair. Him riding a white horse, I mean, rather than being 1-0 down after 10 minutes and coming on. Right, let's wrap things up then. We'll be back, of course, after that Nottingham Forest game. Hopefully, we'll have a Wembley trip to look forward to as well. Um, don't forget... That special podcast price is on at the moment to subscribe to The Athletic for £1.99 a month for a year when you join at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But Andy Mitten, thank you very much. Carl Anker, thank you very much. Listeners at home, thank you very much. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.